welcome to the Cabramatta Vineyard Church podcast. We are a missional community in southwestern Sydney that desires to be a preview community of God's generous rule and reign. For more information, check out cabramattavineyard.org.au. So we've been uh, reading the book of Revelation. And this morning we're going to look at chapters 4 and 5. So we've been through the letters to the seven churches. So just a reminder that the, uh, the book of Revelation is a letter. And it's a letter that's written to seven specific churches about their situation. So these people who think that it's a detailed uh, look uh, into world history at the return of Christ <coughs> um, are mistaken. It's a letter that was written to encourage a bunch of seven churches, some of which were doing tough because they were standing faithfully in the face of um, persecution, and others that were compromising. And so John, uh, Jesus gave John a vision and uh, this vision neatly ties together the story of the Bible. There's a reason why the book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible. Because it takes the themes that began in the garden and it ties them all neatly together. <clears throat> if you've ever read the Revelation all of the way through, you'll get the sense that it's a story, that it's telling a story, but sometimes it's a little difficult to figure out what the story is. Now, one mistake that people uh, have made, particularly over the last 200 years, is to think that this is a detailed picture of the end times told in advance. Right? This is what leads Christians to fear getting left behind, if you get my meaning. Right? That whole left behind thing is a complete misreading of the story of the Revelation. Um, there is no Antichrist. There's no rapture in the Revelation. Uh, this is a misreading of Scripture. Now, this is not to say that it doesn't tell us about the future. It just doesn't tell us about the future in the way that Tim LaHaye conceived it in the Left Behind series or before him, um, Hal Lindsay in the late Great Planet Earth. <coughs> or there's that whole Schofield Bible dispensational theology. Sorry if you like that stuff. This is the wrong church. Um, it's better to read the story as um, a one story that's told from several different camera angles. So what we have is the same story told over and over again in groups of seven. So it's not this seven happens, then this happens, then this happens. They're all the same story, but told in a different way. Um, so we will get into those bits 
But this morning we're going to look at um, what I believe is the central vision. Now, the, the narrative threads that are drawn together in the Revelation, um, there's at least five important narratives of God's faithfulness and purpose and mission. The first is the story of creation and new creation. So the Revelation is telling the story of the new creation coming to full birth. The new creation began with the resurrection of Jesus. And Revelation tells that full story of the new creation that we joined when we put our confidence in Jesus and that we're meant to be working in partnership with God towards. The second is the story of redemption, which began in Genesis 3 when God made a promise that the seed of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. <coughs> this happened at the cross, but that defeat is enforced in the story of the Revelation. This is also the story of judgment that also began in the garden and is brought to a conclusion in Revelation. The fourth and the fifth spread uh, themes. First, well, the fourth one is witness. That is the, the story of the suffering pilgrim church. The church is meant to be following the faithful witness, Jesus, by standing firm, not compromising with empire and enduring until the end as faithful witnesses to Jesus, the faithful witness. And the final story is the story of victory. Right? This is the church triumphant. Not that Jesus comes and delivers us from trial, but that he delivers us through trial. And that's where these two chapters that we're going to read this morning are really important. Now, I'm not going to expound this because the revelation is not really about trying to take each detail of the visions and find, okay, who's this about? Right? Is Vladimir Putin really the beast? Or is it Joe Biden? Or was it Donald Trump? Are right. this is a are these rhetorical questions? These are rhetorical <laughs> questions. Right. This is a complete misreading. We're not meant to be matching up the faces with the characters of the story. Because the revelation is telling us what is it like when the church lives under the power of empire. Now, the seven churches in Turkey in the first century lived under the power of Rome. But Rome is not mentioned in the Revelation. Rather, the empire is called Babylon. Because Babylon is world empire set up in opposition to God. And that happens in every age. In every age, there's an empire that rises up and it stands against the work of God and it gives the people of God a hard time. And the temptation for us as God's people is twofold. The first is compromise, that we make peace with empire 
and we get seduced by its power and its invitation to join in its worship. The other is that we suffer, but we are tempted to give up in the midst of the suffering. And the book of Revelation gives us a picture of the end, a picture of the victory of God, and a promise that we will be delivered through trouble to triumph. But he doesn't whisk us away from earth to sit and watch the final battle in heaven. So I'd like you to turn to Revelation chapter 4, and all we're really going to do this morning is to read the two stories, and I want you to read the story with your imagination. Right? The Revelation is a visionary experience, and you're meant to experience it with your senses. So you're meant to see, you're meant to hear, you're meant to smell. There's all of these um, sensory clues within the vision that are inviting us to, to get drawn into the vision. And this is a vision of heaven. So Revelation 4 and 5, the, reading, the reason we're reading them together is because they belong together. It's like a diptych, right? If you, any of you have studied art, you'll know a diptych is one of those two-panel artworks. Sometimes you go in and you see a diptych or a triptych, right? So where you see two panels or three panels, but it's the one artwork. This is a diptych. Revelation 4 gives us a picture into the throne room of God, and then the scene changes, and we see that throne room of God in a different light. And so it's not that we should look at chapter 4 and then come back next time and look at chapter 5. We're meant to look at them together because the two pictures enlighten each other. So we'll read this, and I want you to read with your imagination. Now, this is the central unifying vision of the whole book of the Revelation. So from here on, up until now, it's been pretty straightforward. Right? But from now on, it gets pretty weird. There are some strange, scary pictures, some weird beasts, even in this bit. But we're meant to read all of the rest of the book with this unifying vision in mind chapters 4 and chapter 5. This is the throne room of God surrounded by worshippers and filled with images and sound of wonder. After this I looked and behold, now I'm reading the English Standard Version. After this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. Picture the door. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet. Alright, what sort of a voice sounds like a trumpet? Have you ever been standing in a band when the trumpet player started to play behind you? Not cool. A loud voice 
Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Now when you read the book of Revelation, there are two images that are very important. The first is the throne. And this word throne is going to occur 43 times from now to the end of the book. The throne is pretty important. And this is where we see the kingdom narrative of scripture that began in the garden when God talked about ruling. It ends in the revelation, in the image of the throne. Right, this is the culmination of the kingdom theme of the whole Bible, which represents the dominion, the rule of God. Behold, the throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. So I want you to picture this throne made of colourful, precious stones and the light bouncing off these stones so that there's a rainbow of light surrounding the throne and enveloping the one who sits upon the throne. Now around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white with gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. John's vision is straining the limits of language. He's having trouble describing what it is that he's looking at. But it's magnificent. It's beautiful. This is a picture of God's throne, God's throne room. Who are the dudes sitting on the 24 thrones? We never find out. Because the focus is not on the elders, the focus is on the one who sits on the throne. But these elders, whoever they are, maybe they're the 12 patriarchs of Israel, the sons of Jacob, <coughs> and maybe the 12 apostles. But who's the 12th one? It's not going to be Judas. Maybe Paul? We don't know. And it doesn't matter. Because the thing about the 12 elders is they're showing us what to do. All around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. Now, I don't know if you can get your head around that picture. I have a little trouble with something covered in eyes. That sounds a little spooky, a little, little scary. <coughs> the 
first living creature is like a lion and the second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And each of them have six wings are full of eyes all around and within and day and night they never cease to say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Our worship this morning, all of those songs came from Revelation 4 and 5. Because Revelation is not just narrative, it's also liturgy. It's worship. It's the worship of heaven. And there is an invitation for us as we read the narrative to enter into the worship of heaven. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God. To receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So, here in this first panel of the diptych, we have a picture of the worship of God in heaven. Here is God seated on the throne. And heaven turns out to be quite a busy place. And the busyness is all about the worship of the living God. But now the picture changes. John's vision moves. Then I saw, he says in chapter 5, verse 1, in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll in the hand of power. The scroll is written on both sides, which in antiquity that's quite unusual. Normally a scroll would only be written on one side. And it's sealed with seven seals, which are going to become important in the next chapter. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because none was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Here's John with the angel looking at the throne and the one in the throne is holding a scroll and he wants to know what's written on the scroll. But there's no one who can open it. <coughs> one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, 
the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So here we have two messianic images. The lion of the tribe of Judah, we know, is Jesus, though Jesus is not named in these visions. He is the root of Jesse, right? Jesse was David's dad. The root of Jesse is the descendant of David that the prophet Nathan said will sit on David's throne forever and ever. It wasn't Solomon or any of Solomon's progeny. It's Jesus. He is the one. Now, one of the most surprising changes in the history of literature. John looks for the lion. But as the smoke clears, instead of a lion, there between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slaughtered. With seven horns and seven eyes. Seven horns are about power. Seven eyes are about perception, about the ability to see through everything. <coughs> the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, you remember this is an image of the Holy Spirit sent out into all the earth and he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne and when he had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down in worship before the Lamb. Each is holding a harp and the golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign upon the earth. What just happened? The elders and the living creatures who were designed to worship God are bowing down before the slaughtered lamb. They're giving the work, the worship that's due to God to the lion of the tribe of Judah, who is a slaughtered lamb. Now John's picture is enlarged, and I looked and I heard, and around the throne 
and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, suddenly he sees that the angels of heaven, heaven are gathered around the 24 thrones, the elders, the creatures, and they're worshipping the Lamb. They're saying in a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, that's God, and to the Lamb who is also God, be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Revelation 4 and 5 changes our understanding of God. Now we are meant to understand God, the King of Kings, is the slaughtered lamb who laid down his life. The lamb on the throne also changes our understanding of power. And it's very important that we understand that the lamb conquers by sacrifice, by laying down his life, not by strapping on a sword and going into battle and doing violence against his enemies. If we think that that's what's going to happen in the rest of Revelation, then we've completely missed the point of chapter 4 and 5. There is no violence in the rest of Revelation. The Lamb the king, the dude on the white horse with the sword coming out of his mouth. The sword is his word. The lamb conquers by sacrifice and by the word of God. Do you think God needs an army to defeat evil? No, he changed the rules. He stood in the face of evil and accepted in his body everything that could happen. And in the process, he overturned the power of evil. He defeated Satan and he won the victory that we now get to live in. There's no violence coming in the rest of the book. There is sacrifice and word. The Lamb on the throne also describes for us our path. This is how we follow. We follow through a life of sacrifice and service. And we follow through living out faithfully the Word of God. 
standing before the power and seduction of empire and being faithful witnesses to the Lamb on the throne. Some of you may know of the Moravian Brethren, a, a missionary movement that began in the mid-17th century and were one of the most important missional movements in the history of the church. This was their motto, our Lamb has conquered. Let us follow him. We are called to follow the Lamb and to follow and serve in Lamb power. That is the power of sacrifice and service to lay down our lives and to live as faithful witnesses. Our Lamb has conquered. Let us follow Him. Now to finish this morning, normally we take some time and invite the Holy Spirit to come. But since we've just read Revelation 4 and 5, this is an invitation to join in the worship of heaven. <coughs> so what we're going to do is go back into worship and invite God to come and meet us in the midst of worship. Now as we worship, if you've come this morning in need of healing, then we invite the Holy Spirit to come and release his healing in the worship. And as we worship, if you receive a revelation, right, a word of knowledge or a prophetic word, there will be space after we've sung a couple of songs to share those with whoever you think they're for. But I'm just going to ask if some musician type people can come back up to the front and we're going to sing a few more songs and remember that as we sing this we are joining the worship that is going on now continuously before the throne of God.